What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, coming at you live. This is this is one I was really, really hyped about. I finally felt like I got back in my groove, podcasted last night, podcasted today. Oh, baby, we're getting back after it. So, dude, I don't know if you've been watching any church news or anything lately. I just try to combine lately and recently in one word. Lately. Anyways. But, yo, it's been going down, right? So, you got Pope Francis versus the Trads. It's been wild. Friday, he dropped some big news from the Vatican that greatly, greatly restricted the traditional Latin mass. And so that might just sound boring to you, but I promise that it matters. And so we're going to talk about why it matters. We're going to talk about the history of the Latin mass. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff today uh, that I think is really, really important. So I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and my friend John. And uh, he does some pretty cool stuff with his life. So we decided not to share too much of his background and, and things like that. But we had a really, really fire conversation about this. He's a straight up trad, loves a traditional Latin mass, drives over an hour to get there every Sunday and has for years. And myself, I'm a fan of the traditional Latin mass. I really respect it. I really love it. But I've always belonged to Novus Ordo parishes. So we have a good conversation. There's things that we disagree on. There's things that we agree on. Uh, but I really hope you learned something today. I hope you're inspired. Hope you're hopeful. And... I hope you continue to fight hard. God bless. You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom to go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ to be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. My goodness, here we go. I got my man John with me today. Super excited to get into this topic of what's going on between the trads and Pope Francis. So first, mm-hmm. I got to give a little bit of context for I bring my man John on today. So some of you may know, you know, I, I one thing that I think is interesting about Seek Essence listeners and uh, readers and uh, followers on social media is that we have such a wide range of people that follow us and that listen to our stuff. And so I'm very grateful for that. And so for some of you, you might've been like me, I think like two years ago, I didn't know trads, rad trads, all those things. It was all foreign to me. So for those of you who don't know, trads, it stands for traditional Catholics, typically people who attend the traditional Latin mass. And so some really serious stuff has gone down between Pope Francis and a lot of church leadership in the traditional Latin mass attending community. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But first, I think this it's important to say, you know, I've, I, I think I've talked about 
some of my challenges with Pope Francis here in the past. I know I talk a lot about Catholic politicians and my issues with them, um, but there's a lot of issues as well with, within church leadership. Um, but this one was, was a really big, was a really big event in, in modern church news. Right? Oh, yeah. And so I think a lot of people don't get church news. And so I try to stay somewhat tuned in. I'm definitely not as tuned in and plugged in as I'd like to be, but I try to stay mildly plugged into to what's happening within the church. And so this one was a pretty big deal. And so we want to get into to what it means. But I think some things that are really important is just kind of given my background, I'd like to clarify this just so everybody knows, you know, uh, I think it's really great that John and I are going to have this conversation because you are, you know, uh, very committed Latin mass going oh, yeah. ahead and, and uh, we'll get into that. I prefer and, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And how far you drive for Latin Mass, how far you've driven for Latin Mass in the past. Hey, but it's also how, how far I don't drive for SSPX. So, you know, that's part of it, too. But. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Which, yeah, that's a lot to get into, too. But yeah, um, just to, and, and we'll give people kind of a background and history on the, the TLM, the traditional Latin Mass and all that stuff as well. But just just so you understand, my perspective is I'm somebody who loves the traditional Latin Mass. I don't go. I've never joined a, a TLM parish. Um, but I do have the missile and I, I try to go every now and then, you know, try to learn my Latin prayers here and there and uh, just have a deep appreciation for it um, and just consider myself, a, uh, you know, try to be an Orthodox Catholic. That's what I think all of us should, should strive to be. And so I've talked a lot about in the past some of my love for kind of some of my, my political or like social conversion that I talk about of going from, you know, being a pretty hardcore Democrat to, considering myself now, you know, a religious conservative in, in the realm of United States politics. And a lot of that had to do with seeing so many Orthodox Catholics who were conservatives compared to a lot of the lukewarm or Catholics who had troubling beliefs who I saw were Democrats. And so that, that was a, kind of a big deal, you know, and in my Orthodoxy revolution and all of these things, and my, my bringing, coming to the, you know, conservative side, that was really when I was introduced to the, the TLM, the traditional Latin mass. And so John played a big role in that in my life. Um, you definitely were a positive influence in that way and many others. And so uh, I'm excited to dive into this. Our friendship cool. goes back about seven years now, which is insane. Oh my it, gosh. Yeah. So long. And we kept definitely keep following each other around too. So yeah. <laughs> yeah we hung out in like eight different states. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So that's pretty cool. But John, yeah. So we're going to get into some of the stuff that's gone down between Pope Francis and the trads and how it's affecting the trad community, why that is what the impacts of that, why you should care, even if you've never gone to Latin Mass before, why you should go to Latin Mass if you've never gone to Latin Mass before. We're going to talk about all of that. But first, John, my man, I want to have you just talk a little bit about yourself, tell a little bit about your story and what made you fall in love with the traditional Latin Mass. Sure. Yeah. Nate, thanks so much for uh, having me on. Um, so a little bit about myself. I was raised generally Protestant Christian. I converted when I was 15 and it was not at a super traditional community. In fact, if I had to go back to that church as it was now, I'd probably be appalled at the amount of liturgical abuse, wow. but that was good for me. That helps me to know that God works through very human instruments that, yeah, he, he, he loves me, cares for me and is able to work through, um, yeah, through, through all that. But, uh, so I went through, I converted when I was 15 and ended up going to the seminary. So I went to a Protestant evangelical school for four years because I really didn't understand a lot of the differences between Catholicism and Protestantism. And through being questioned about my faith at this Protestant college, Wheaton College, I was able to really love the faith more, own it, and started having the thoughts of, man, is God calling me to be a priest? Does he want me to go to seminary to uh, consider offering him to others? But it was there when I first went to my Latin Mass. 
my first Latin mass. So that was my junior year of college. Uh, I remember I had some ROTC event and, you know, the weekends are crazy. You're getting back Sunday at like 2, 3 p.m. So it's like, all right, I got to go to this 7 p.m. Latin mass here uh, out in Illinois. And I remember nice. going to that and just thinking, oh my gosh, this is what holiness looks like. This is what just beauty. And I was just in awe. It was amazing. Yeah. All the symbolism. I didn't know what was going on, but through the medium, I knew the medium was conveying the message that this yeah. was beauty, that I was really in touch with something ancient, something uh, so profound. Um, I ended up going to seminary uh, in 2011, being interested in Latin mass, not quite knowing the kind of political ramifications of sharing that you like it, um, because unfortunately mm -hmm. there is a little bias against it within uh, some diocesan, some dioceses, some seminaries, etc. Um, but yeah, I just continued to learn more about the Latin mass in, in seminary and afterwards in different places where I would work. Um, I lived in Colorado for a little bit, was able to attend the priestly fraternity of St. Peter pretty regularly. And yeah, it just changed my life. I just loved the depth of the prayer and just really getting to learn uh, to pray the missal um, and see just the whole depth of our faith. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I love to hear it. You know, I, I'm trying to remember. I don't know if I can remember when my first live mass was. Yeah. I, but I feel like I don't know. It might have been in Cincinnati, but I'm not positive. But I okay. feel like the first, I feel like two of my three first ones were accident, accidental. Like, I feel like I went, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, that's how a lot of people do it. You got to do a survey on that. Yeah. Yeah. It was like masstimes.org. I remember. And mm -hmm. I, I showed up, I, this happened at, I think it's Sacred Heart in Cincinnati. Um, and then it happened to me again at Old St. Uh, is it, or St. Patrick's Old Mary's there? Well, yeah, Old oh. St. Mary's is in Cincinnati, and I have yep. been to Latin Mass there, but that was intentional. But then I think it's St. Patrick's okay. Oratory in Kansas City. I also okay. went to like a Wednesday 6 p.m. Latin Mass right. on accident. And uh, this was at a different, I was definitely earlier on in certain phases of my life. And I, I remember to one of them, I wore shorts, which was like mind-blowing, oh, yeah. you know, to be looking back. But um, it all worked out. But I remember my first one. I, I You know, what's interesting is when I went to St. Patrick's and I went accidentally, what what keyed me off what i think what always lets you know there's several things right the pair like the church is literally set up different uh, they usually look a lot different mm -hmm. um but the altar servers oh yeah so you know getting into some of the stuff that what we love about it and i highly encourage people because we're going to do this very quickly but matt frad just did a uh we you and i talked about this last night mm -hmm. but he just did an hour-long interview with jacob a mom and they talk about like i think seven things that they love about it and you, I, I knowing you, you would echo all seven and, and I echo all seven of those things as well. And we'll link that into the show notes as well. I, I highly encourage you to go check that out. If mm -hmm. you're looking for some more encouragement to go to a Latin mass, but one of the things they mentioned is just like the, the reverence of the altar servers and like the seriousness with which the priests and the altar servers take the mass, you know, and just, you talked about, like, you kind of referenced the awe and the beauty of it. I think there's this, uh, there's this interesting perspective right and like debate within the church and i think this this really kind of drove at least aspects of vatican ii not all of it but you know people want to make mm -hmm. the mass i almost i don't know if accessible is the right word like the the people who yeah I think, they want to they want to change it so yeah they can they're generally or something yeah 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 i think comfort is a yeah. good word accessibility mm -hmm. is a good word um and i think that a, a lot of those people um and I don't think, I don't think you challenge me too much on this. Maybe, maybe we disagree on the percentage, but I think, I think a majority sure. of those people that want to make that, make it that way are goodwill. 
right? Like, I think that there's definitely uh, bad forces and bad people within that group that want to change things, water down the mass or water down the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people who want to make it more accessible. One thing they talked about last night, uh, you know, Matt Fried and Jacob, I think that was really interesting was they said, you know, that a lot of that evangelization of like meeting people where they are, establish a relationship, like being relatable, all of that stuff is like kind of what you do in preparing somebody to go to mass with you. Right. Like that's right, like yeah. what the interpersonal connection and like relationship is, is about. And then that's what evangelization is. Right. And then you bring people to this and there's just something so powerful about the Latin mass. And, and one thing they said, you know, the importance of the Latin is just having something that's different and set apart for your time with God, that it is so much different, you know, and just the difference with which the priest approaches the mass and the homily and all of these things, because it's not like everything else in our lives where we have to be entertained and uh, you know, there's gotta be a performance and they have to like, keep your attention. Like it's really them doing something for God on behalf of the people, which is what the mass is supposed to be. And it's just a, it's yeah. a powerful thing to, to see that and to think about that. And to think if I took somebody to a novice order, or I took somebody to a Latin mass and they'd never been to mass before. I mean, I, I know now I remember being the person it's crazy for me, bro. Cause I remember being the person that'd be like, well, I wouldn't want to take somebody right to a Latin mass, but now I have like a cousin yeah. of mine who's like trying to go to mass for the first time. And I'm like, man, I, I don't want you to go to any of the ones in Harrisburg well, because there's yeah. not a lot of good ones. You know, like I, I want you to go like, yeah. come out here, come to Denver and we'll go to mass together. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's so much more than just the liturgy as to why you would prefer a person to go to a traditional Latin mass or to Novus Ordo. Yeah, Generally you can trust that the preaching is going to be a lot more straightforward. Uh, you don't, you can't really go there finding heresy not too often you're going to hear the priest talking about jesus christ you know there's sometimes you have these homilies that are just kind of like secular humanist sort of upbuilding each other just like you're okay i'm okay we're all yeah. okay but like with a lot in mass you're going to have that kind of that sort of depth usually in the preaching and i think a lot of that has to do there's with no oprah there's no the oprah talks right yeah um but no i'm, I'm at the same same point i would definitely recommend someone to try out a traditional latin mass because even if they don't understand the words what's exactly being said there's a lot more to it it's just that the medium helps convey the message like you you wouldn't want to sing a love song to your girlfriend in metal even if it's in english you know you're going to want to do that in something more operatic or maybe some other form of music but it's just it's just like what's appropriate right so like the chant can kind of help assist that versus um I don't know. You wouldn't have metal in, in, I love metal, but you wouldn't have that at mass. <laughs> right. that just, yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting, man. And it, yeah, there's just, there's so many differences. There's so much importance to it, but th- there's a lot there. I think there's a lot to the history, but can you just give us a, a brief breakdown um, just of some of the historical context of like what like led to that? I think a lot of people don't know. Like one thing sure. it kind of blows my mind. I mean, I, bro, I didn't know for uh, probably yeah. 22, 24 years, you know, that for, a very, very long time. Like we're talking centuries and centuries and centuries. Oh yeah. The church, mm-hmm. Yeah. That the church did mass this way. And then it just kind of right. stopped in the early sixties. So talk, sure. talk to me yeah. about that. Yeah, absolutely. So the traditional Latin mass or just what was just the Roman rite, really has its origins um, with St. Gregory the Great and St. Gregory the Great really solidified the low mass in about the sixth century. Um, and afterward, it kind of continued to have a very similar form. And after the Protestant Reformation, after the Council of Trent, Pius V, St. Pius V, 
helped establish was the Tridentine Rite. So that's the Roman Rite. Now we're talking about the Tridentine Mass, the Tridentine Rite. He just wanted to sort of smooth everything out, make sure there weren't any major or large discrepancies between dioceses up north, dioceses south. But by and large, it had that same kind of form and shape. And that can be seen because you have the Dominican Rite, which was uh, founded by the Dominicans, you know, 12th, 13th century, and has fairly similar shape. And this is kind of going on and proceeding with really small, gradual, organic growth up until 1962. The 1962 missile is the missile that priests who now celebrate the traditional Latin mass utilize. And it was the last one that was edited by John the 23rd. And the only addition was adding St. Joseph to the canon, um, but that's the last one. So that's why traditional Latin mass priests uh, usually use the 1962 missile. So you go into Vatican II, 1962 to 1965, and you have Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is the Vatican document on the liturgy. And it doesn't call for the kind of crazy levels of reform or the great change that happened. Um, then you go through after Vatican II, and not to get into too much of the history of it, but kind of a council just gets together, decides what do they want to do with the liturgy, what do they not want to do with the liturgy. It gets approved by Paul VI. And then in 1970, we have a liturgy that looks very different from the traditional Latin mass. And I, I think somewhat problematic. Um, one of the things I consider is that the Protestant Reformation, the goal of the Reformation was to destroy those Catholic beliefs that we held so near and dear. And what the Protestant reformers did back in uh, the 1500s, we did to ourselves through all the changes we made in after Vatican II. So what they did to destroy belief in the real presence of the Eucharist, such as receiving on both, both forms, on a, of both the body and the blood, or facing the people, or some vernacular. Um, there were some changes that we made, and understandably, a lot of it is to modernize, a lot of it is to make it a little more accessible for the new world, but there were some changes added. So then you had uh, the 1970, the 1962 missiles kind of going hand in hand. Um, so then how did the Latin mass uh, exist afterward? So afterward, right. Latin mass was by and large not really too, too acceptable. You had um, Archbishop Lefebvre who started the SSTX continuing on and he just wanted to continue to hold to those traditions and not say the new mass, just continue to say the mass that he was formed with. And he saw that there were some problems with how Vatican II was being implemented, some problems that he picked out with the with Vatican Council itself, and you know we need to get into whether or not that's that's legitimate. But in 1988, the Society of Saint Pius X, you had Archbishop Lefebvre ordained four bishops. So there was some controversy about that. Usually, that's a late sententiae. Those excommunic uh, excommunications were lifted by Benedict XVI um, in 2009. So there, there's just some confusion. So I, I don't want to get too much into the weeds. I know I already kind of am getting you there. But basically, the Latin Mass. Yeah, sorry, dude. There's just too much, too much to say. No, right, there's a lot. The Latin Mass wasn't wasn't super common, and you needed an indult. You needed permission in order, in order to go to it. So what Benedict the Sixteenth did in 2007 is he gave his motu proprio uh, tomorrow pontificum pontificum tomorrow pontificum, which allows for any priest to say and celebrate the extraordinary form. And you don't need permission from a bishop to do so. Um, and I think I have that quote. 
that what earlier generations held as sacred remains sacred and great for us too, and it cannot be all of a sudden entirely forbidden or even considered harmful. So the Latin mass was never abrogated. What's been since about Gregory the Great, the same form is still holy, and that's led most of the saints to, to sainthood to this day. Um, so after the motu proprio, we have just an explosion of Latin mass communities, uh, just doubling, tripling, just many more throughout our country, throughout other countries. And especially over the pandemic, I think everybody remembers that oh, they were yeah. trying to go to mass during the pandemic. The more Orthodox the church was, the more yeah. likely they were to be open. Right. Yeah. Priests were, priests who actually believed that eternal salvation is a thing. Right. And, and the true presence is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that your soul is more important than any temporal health that you got to be more worried about whether or not we go to heaven than, you know, a disease that's by and large, not, you know, harmful to some, but not to a whole lot. They continued mass. So those parishes have continued to flourish. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to last Friday. Yeah. The so last Friday. No, absolutely. Francis, but before, let me, let me jump in there real quick before we sure. go into that. I think, I think that's great. Um, just, just to kind of summarize that too, for people is one of the things I think is, cause I think this kind of preps too, for what happened last Friday is that uh, Vatican II is a, I think it's like a, a, a little known huge dispute within many within the right. church mm -hmm. you know and i think right. a lot of people don't recognize that uh, i like i learned about it in school just like every like every other person i think that went to catholic school and you don't really get taught about any of the things that we just talked about right so like the history of the latin mass learning about all the changes and to realize for a lot of people if you go to a latin mass and especially if you go to like a a pretty bad novus ordo like mm -hmm. that can look so much, that looks almost as different between that Novus Ordo and like, and, uh, you know, evangelical, like non-denom church service, like yeah, literally can like praise the worship service. You know what I mean? Like it literally looks that different and you stop and you think like, why did this change? What happened? And then we'll get into a little bit later, you know, some of the research that you thankfully looked up um, for us. But when you see mm -hmm. all these things that I think it, it's easy for some people, it, it, this, this is one of the things I just want to clarify, is that some people really demonize Vatican II. Um, right. My research and my study, my stance on it is that there were definitely some bad actors in Vatican II. And we mm -hmm. kind of, uh, you know, one thing that I think you and I probably both agree on is that there's um, less issues with Vatican II documents in and of themselves as there is with what people consider the spirit of Vatican II. Right. Yeah. which is a lot of the changes that came out of it. So what a lot of people who are Orthodox Catholics, who are truly believing faithful Orthodox Catholics, point at Vatican II and will defend it. And they'll say, have you read the documents? A lot of people who criticize Vatican II haven't read the mm -hmm. documents. And for, so this is me kind of on the outside, like watching these people argue, is right. they point at, they say, well, have you read the documents? The documents don't have anything that are heretical or bad or whatever in it. But then you look at on the other side and you say, well, look at the, the impact that this has had on the church since then which like I said, we'll get into that research after we talked about what happened last Friday. But sure. it just I just want people to kind of have that perspective of, I, I don't even know that I found the answer or what I believe or, or that I found the truth of it yet. Um, and I'm sure you have strong opinions on this, but I know I've debated with a lot of good Catholic people that I know who have defended mm -hmm. Vatican II when I've just said, yeah, but like there has to be something to all the negative impacts that have come after. And that's what a lot of people will call the spirit of Vatican II, which led into 
what everybody knows is the 60s and 70s, which just gets into all the stuff that I do talk about. And if you think about the podcast that Emily and I have done, mm-hmm. that Bella and I have done, that Anna Lulis and I did when it comes to feminism, Black Lives Matter, Marxism, and uh, abortion, when you talk about the abortion, when you talk about the abortion pill, when you talk about contraception, you talk about all of these things, right? Like the timeline mm-hmm. of all of those from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, right? Like the fact that this all happened in the 60s doesn't necessarily mean, right, that that it's, you know, all diabolic and all demonic, but it does at least, I think, it, or it ought to at least pique our interest and have us say, you know, discern and pray about these things and wonder, you know, more and more, does this matter? I think that's the question that I try to get people to understand a lot with Seeking Excellence is, does this matter? Why does this matter? And what can I do about it? Right. So that's the whole, right. The whole mindset behind the seven pillars of excellence is, yeah, the way you manage your money matters for your holiness and for you living an excellent life. Yeah. The way that you have friendships. Yeah. The way that you date. Yeah. The way that you talk to people. Yeah. The way that you perform at work, all of that matters, right? Your physical health, your nutrition, the way that you treat your body that matters for your excellence, for your relationship with God, for your stewardship. And so this, this type of stuff to say, this is kind of part of my growth too, that I've had over the last several years to say, okay, does the way that I worship God matter? And as Catholics, it's crazy how we as Catholics oh, yeah. do believe that. So a lot of us, until we become Catholic, and then we kind of get into being Catholic and we take this Protestant mindset of saying, well, it's all the same, right? You know, I've had so many Protestants, non-dominationals, Baptists to be like, well, we all kind of believe the same thing, right? And it's like, no, bro, we don't, oh, Yeah. right? And then you go and but then there's a lot of times you become Catholic and then people kind of think that, and it's like, we, unfortunately, we don't, you'd like to think that we're all right. unified and we're all, you know, but it's like, no, it, it, like you go to this, I've been to some Novus Ordos that make me physically nauseous. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just the way that they mm-hmm. treat our Lord, the lack of reverence, the way, uh, the way that it's done is so, you know, horrible. And it's like, that's not the same as going to a TLM or going to a very, very Orthodox Novus Ordo, mm-hmm. in my opinion, you know, like there's there's different levels of it and we ought to treat oh, yeah. god with the utmost respect and reverence and that no, matters absolutely. you know now can i qualify something i think you were um discussing sort of how vatican II. you know that's a, it is a legitimate council that the problems are more so something that came afterward than something that's like within the documents itself um i think it's it's fair to say that there can be kind of a wide variety and there's a wide variety on how catholics can interpret those documents yeah and still remain yeah, solid clearly. catholics so, like, I personally think that there is some weaponized ambiguity in there, that it could be clear. Mm. There is some questions because Paul VI, after finishing, said that this is a pastoral council. There aren't really any um, anathema statements within it. It's, so if it's not dogmatic, if it is purely pastoral, I'm just saying that to, to say that you can have sort of differences of opinion and still be a legitimate Catholic. Um, but I do think that there are some weaponized ambiguity pieces there. I mean, nothing necessarily to get into, but um, certainly it is the spirit of Vatican II. It is those bad actors that then kind of set us up for this sort of problematic trajectory that we're seeing now where most Catholics don't believe in the real presence of the Eucharist and baptism are low and weddings, et cetera. But for all of that, yeah, see the Don't Go Back to Normal podcast with Father Jonathan Meyer, which we talked about all of those things. And yeah, it's so serious, man. But um, yeah, let's get into it. So I think that weaponized ambiguity is something that has become a, a theme of our time, especially a theme of right. this pontificate. Uh, I think it's the thing that most people get upset with, Pope, most faithful Catholics get upset with Pope Francis for, is the ambiguity. 
Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said for that because there's so many people that, uh, you know, I think what, what I remember, I remember being really moved, bro. It was when the, the thing came out with Pope Francis and the, uh, the uh, statement about the, um, the civil unions in Argentina, right? And there was like oh, this okay. huge thing about him. Allegedly, the interpretation was that he was kind of like approving oh, or, allowing it. or being happy yeah. about the civil unions happening in Argentina. The law had been passed. And yeah. it was in this documentary that came out. A lot of Spanish-speaking priests and, and people came out and said that the interpretation was really um, mm-hmm. unjust or just wasn't right. Like he wasn't saying what they were saying that he said um, in these like secular ma- magazines and newspapers and things like that. But the problem, but I was really moved by what I was getting to is I was really moved by Matt Frad's words on that because I feel like a lot of a lot mm. of these Catholic speakers and stuff, bro, these popular people, they don't like to talk about this stuff like this. They right. don't like to touch this this spicy shit. You know what I'm saying? Like I, yeah, I, I yeah. often criticized them last summer during like when all the BLM stuff is like when people needed leaders, all the people who want to be leaders in the fun times, like just kind of shut up and go and hide because mm-hmm. they don't want to get canceled or people mad at them. So I really had a lot of respect when Matt Fratt finally came out and he was like, you know what? He's like, I'm tired of gaslighting the trads. He's like, yeah. we always act like, he's like, every time Pope Francis says some sketchy shit, we always like have some excuse for him or we always have this or whatever. And the, the main thing that he came out to say was, he's like, all you have to do is clarify what you mean. Like the, every time there's, there's, there's uh, yeah. you know, a riot, there's, there's people are, are riled up and angry at Pope Francis it could be easily dissolved if he just like clarified, but there's been so mm-hmm. many comments around same sex attraction, same sex marriage, divorce that he's said, or had this kind of ambiguity, right. That could be interpreted by all types yeah. of ways and is interpreted by a lot of Orthodox people to make them upset and is interpreted by a lot of father James mm-hmm. Martin's liberal Catholics, German right. bishops to just go off and do crazy stuff. And so it's like, clarify what you mean. And that's why I just mm-hmm. want to talk about that. Cause that ambiguity has right. been such a big deal for so many people and there's this gaslighting going on i feel like all the time with the trad community which i feel like is what kind of leads to stuff like this because they're known for being dissident or um disobedient you know and yeah. just like being divisive and it's like just because they're troubled by like some troubling things doesn't necessarily mean you're divisive yeah so you're saying how are you saying trads are gaslighting or being gaslit? no trads are being gaslit i think by the fact that Every time, like Pope Francis does, has done that multiple times over mm-hmm. the last nine years or whatever it's been. Right. And every, like Matt Frad's point was that, or eight years, Matt Frad's point was that oh, he can every time this it. happens, you, you guys all say, oh no, he didn't mean that. Like it's right. just interpreted wrong. And he's like, how many times can you do that? You know? And it's like, you do make the trads yeah. look crazy or the Orthodox Catholics look crazy for having problems with this stuff. Because every time it's like, no, he's mm-hmm. the Pope. He's just different. He's just, you know, focused on love and forgiveness. And it's like, man, I see so many like good people who say that and who defend that. But it's like, at what point can you just admit that he should have been more clear? Because like at some point, well, you got this. Like, you yeah. need, we need no, it. Like, no, you it's, need clarity, it's, right? So, so you don't want to ever really judge the intentions of a person, but you also don't want to be taken advantage of. Um, right. You don't want to be fooled too many times. And unfortunately, you know, we we pray for the Holy father we pray for his salvation but he has said some very ambiguous things and he's done some pretty horrendous things um this is just objectively like through what he's done as a pope idol worship pachamama statue in the vatican garden that is idol worship uh when he released and just gets hidden from a lot of people a lot of people don't know about all the things yeah you know but go ahead i'm sorry yeah 
you, yeah, no, but even if you're if you're trying to, um, and that's something that Orthodox Catholics would get upset about. Some things, and and sometimes people are like, oh, I love Pope Francis. Then I give like what the conservatives would be upset about, such as the Pachamama statue. But also, Archbishop Vigano, he released his letter in 2018, and he claimed that Pope Francis knew about Theodore McCarrick, formerly known as Cardinal McCarrick, that he knew that he had sexually abused minors and that he didn't act on it. And we are still to this day waiting for the Vatican's report on how, let me check on that. I don't think the report came out, but let me, but anyway, that he knew about Cardinal McCarrick, that he covered up for him. Um, and there really wasn't a formal response right away. Um, so you have mm -hmm. a Morris Laetitiae, which is confusing on whether divorce remarried can go and can receive communion. Right. Um, and you had the four cardinals ask questions yep. for clarity and he hasn't given it. So unfortunately at this point, you have to kind of assume that the Holy Father is not the clearest when it comes to presenting the Catholic faith. Might be a very nice man, pray for him, but it's a red pill. And the way that you swallow these red pills is through a love of Jesus Christ, through a deep abiding relationship with him. And that's how we're going to get through what happened last Friday is yeah. through just union with Christ, praying to him and uh, just trusting that he's in control. I love it, bro. So before I distract us anymore, let's get into what happened last Friday. All right. So last Friday, Pope Francis dropped this document, this motu proprio called Tradiciones Custodes, and it means guardians of tradition. Um, very ill-named. Um, and it placed severe and harsh restrictions on the traditional Latin mass. So basically, he made it harder for priests to say the Latin mass and celebrate it without permission from their bishop or for people to find uh, Latin mass. So bishops are pretty much the ones who, arbit who are the arbiters and control whether a, whether a TLM, extraordinary form, can be celebrated within their diocese. And it seems that this is to contain uh, traditional Catholicism, if not kill it off uh, through time. Because maybe your current bishop is okay with the FSSP, with the Institute of Christ the King, with whatever diocesan mass is being celebrated, but maybe the next bishop won't be. And maybe right. Pope Francis or whoever his predecessor or whoever comes after him is going to be of a similar mindset and appoint bishops who are not going to be as friendly to the Latin mass. And it's a very, it's a huge slap in the face to Pope Benedict. So everything that Pope Benedict did in 2007 with his motu proprio Smorum Pontificum, Pope Francis undid. Now, he said he did this for the sake of unity. He said that Smorum Pontificum hasn't worked, we're not unified, and because it, it's ununifying, uh, that the bishops have to be the guardians of tradition, and they can choose whether or not to allow these communities to continue. Um, this, it's extremely serious what happened. It can't be overstated how terrible it is. I was just going over some of the bad things the Pope has done. I think that this is by far the worst because this, this is attacking the church right where we meet, we meet Christ. We encounter him in the liturgy. Like it's the source and sum of our faith, according to Vatican II. Um, and this way of praying this, so Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned it yet uh, in previous talks, but it means the law of prayer mm -hmm. is the law of belief. So how you pray influences what you believe and what you believe influences what you pray. This is the mass that has influenced what we believe since the sixth century, probably a little earlier because it was probably still a similar kind of, kind of format. They didn't up and create it in the sixth century. Um, so now you're divorcing our, our belief and our worship are kind of divorced at this point. We don't have like orthopraxy, orthodoxy. So right belief and right, mm -hmm. right practice. 
Um, so this is just, it's a huge, huge blow to the Latin mass community. Um, and I know I texted you right away. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It was tough, man. Oh yeah. It was it's a big tough. day. It was a big day on Friday. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, texted a lot of people, talked to a lot of people about it. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a big deal, man. You're hundred percent right on that. It is, it is a very big deal on just the restrictions of it. I know there's, there's gotta be, I think for, uh, you might've mentioned this already, but right. Like to, to be a new, a newly ordained priest to um, yeah. say the Latin mass, you have to get a letter from Rome. Yeah. You, know, you right? have to go through uh, your, your bishop, bishop and then the bishop has to yeah. submit it to Rome. Yeah. Yeah. So the specific things that it requires of you, um, is it says the Novus Ordo is the Lex Orandi. So it's saying that the law of prayer is now the new mass requires a bishop to permit its use and continued use. And you're supposed to restrict it to certain parishes. So delegate it to particular parishes. Um, so the new priest needs permission. This is confusing, but it says mass can't be celebrated in parochial churches. So I don't know where else you would celebrate right. a TLM. that's not in a parish. Um, and then it places uh, societies of apostolic life, uh, the fraternity of St. Peter, the Institute of Christ the King under a new dicastery congregation for the Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies for Apostolic Life, um, which could make for a difficult time for them, just depending on how friendly that dicastery is to uh, this group. Yeah. And it, it, it's amazing to me that this happened because what I want is I want an external auditor. I want some, some CEO. I want Jeff Bezos to do an external audit of the Catholic Church. I want him to look at what does the Catholic Church believe? You know, what does it teach? All right. Now, how how well are each of these parishes doing in getting us to that point? And right. I think if you look That's by and large, point. yeah, like people who go to, who go to TLM are usually way more serious about their faith. It's the priests are very Orthodox. So I don't know. It's, it's just a pretty wild, um, wild kind of like attack or yeah, it, it, it's a very harsh hand for, for some of Francis children. A hundred percent. So let's talk about that. I think that was one of the things that really got me is there was a uh, traditional kind of page I follow on Instagram. I can't remember which one it was, if it was our Warpath or um, mm-hmm. there's another one, might've been my boy Catholic Will. I can't remember, but uh, one of them kind of just pointed out that like, this is an attack on the most faithful group of the church. Yeah. And so some people, <laughs> I can't wait to share these numbers, bro, because this shit blows my mind. But uh, some people yeah. don't understand how vast the difference is. Uh-huh. And so... Uh, yeah, let's talk about some of this stuff. I want to I want to get into exactly that because another another good parable that or comparison that a friend of mine made was this. Uh, I think we talked about this last night where it's like, you know, Jesus gives the parable of the ninety nine and the one, right? The uh, ninety nine sheep and the you have the one sheep that that has left the flock, and he's like, who wouldn't leave the ninety nine to go out and search for that one? And then when you get that one, you find it, you bring it back, and you rejoice. And it's like today in today's world. Uh, you know, we're definitely not 99% in the fold, right? Like when it comes to being faithful, authentic Catholics, practicing Catholics, however you want to nominate that, right? Dynamic Catholics, sometimes, right. whatever you want to uh-huh. say. We're not 99%, right? We're much, much lower than that. So let's say we're, let's say we're 30%, right? Which I think is mm-hmm. more accurate. I think that might be generous. So we'll go with 30%, right? That of sure. us who are actually like believe what the church teaches, to strive to live yeah. by it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go, you know, go to confession regularly. Yeah, not pray perfectly, every day. but yeah. yeah. Yeah, you try to evangelize, right? You try to live a good life. You try to, you know, you, you're pro-life, you're traditional mm-hmm. marriage, that kind of stuff. Like my friend was like, and then there's not even, I don't even know if it's a third, but let's say 10, 10 in the fold are, are trats, right? And they're the 10 right. strongest, like most faithful, most committed, 
At least most yeah. of them are. Yeah. Let's say eight, eight of your 10, top 10 come from that 10, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's mm-hmm. like, you turn to that group who's the most committed. And because yeah. there's one person of those 10 who might be the one who's out there saying, you know, Pope Francis isn't the real Pope, Vatican II was fake, like all that stuff, right? And I don't yeah. even think it's 10%. But I'm just trying well, to. Well, I don't even think numbers, that's right? why they're doing it. I think that's the total political ploy. Right. That that yeah. is, but that's that's at least their play, right? Is that there's right, there's divisiveness, right. mm-hmm. and I, you know, I like I told you last night, the only divisiveness that I've seen out of the trads that I've come across in my life on Facebook groups, in person, mm-hmm. I know multiple multiple trads. Right. In my day to day life, my friendships like you, um, I've had several on the podcast. The the only time you see the the dis, the really divisive crazy crazy stuff is in the the Facebook comments on the Catholic gentleman right or like some oh, yeah. some, some Facebook page where the person doesn't have a Facebook profile picture right it's always mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Our Lady of Guadalupe Our Lady of Fatima or something right and yeah. it's like um, that that's the person who's out there saying the outlandish stuff but I I haven't come across the people even the ones who are considered crazy like your Dr Taylor Marshalls of the world. Or, you know, Father Ripper girls who, who people might think are extreme, these extreme trads and all this stuff. You've got to listen to them. It's always, yeah, it's always the people that yeah. I'm like, well, have you ever listened to him? Have you ever read his book? Mm-hmm. No, I haven't. And I'm just like, bro, in, uh, Infiltration, Dr. Taylor Marshall's book is, I mean, his index yeah. or his like, his documentation in that book is extensive. Yeah. It's like yeah. a third of the book. <laughs> it's just his sources, I, so, right? Like, it's crazy, yeah. man. But I just, I, like I told you, I think there's this boogeyman. And when you look at, the, the, when you think about that that analogy, right, the, the 99 and the one, and if we have 30 that are actually, and that means 70% are outside of the flock, like just the fact that the Holy Father and the bishops, just the fact that they're spending time turning inwards mm-hmm. and looking at the 10, who are the only 10, mind you, that have grown over the last year, they're right. the 10 that have, are the most faithful, the most, you know, authentically practicing, and we're most upset with them versus going out and saying, like, how can we go out and reach the world? It's really hard to imagine that crazy one that that's what's keeping us from going out and getting the other 70 is the chat and two that that's what we should be spending our time doing is focusing on the ones that are actually growing and evangelizing and working well if they're concerned about unity then they need to be concerned about the number of catholics who don't actually accept catholic teaching the ones that don't believe in the real presence the ones that don't regularly attend the mass every sunday or or your joe biden's of the world they're not yeah, Joe Biden's the world. So the disunity is, it's not just a liturgical, how do, if you worship in the same mass, it's, no. it's unity of belief. Like St. Paul talks about one faith, one baptism, one body. And you need that unity most, like what you believe matters. And if you don't believe the right things or aren't accepting it, you don't have the theological virtue of faith, like you're not going to heaven. Um, so I'm not sure, yeah, why that, if, if it was unity, there's so many other issues. Like there's a hilarious meme out there that says the Pope is cracking down on the big problems in the church. And then response is heresy, sexual abuse, final financial scandals, right? <laughs> and it's like, no, it's, right. it's like, is this the big issue right now that you have these growing communities where some people are, I don't know, there are some weird trads out there. That's fine. For but sure. there's some weird, yeah, Novus Ordo guys too. Some very, very weird Novus Ordo people. I've met some, I've met some of both. But let's talk about these numbers, bro. <laughs> oh yeah. To me about yeah, these have you numbers. Seen this yeah. I have. Oh my gosh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically there was a survey put out um twenty eighteen and a priest tried to survey people who attend Latin Mass, and then there was a lot of peer research and other uh sources that 
a little bit more to. yeah yeah to compare it to so on on which group so it's traditional latin mass catholics than catholics that normally attend the novus ordo um so as far as the different things that they try to measure were do they approve contraceptive contraception approve abortion weekly mass attendance gay marriage if they prove that the income percent donated and it's it's pretty pretty drastic so traditional latin, latin mass catholics only two percent of them approve contraception of novus ordo attending catholics 89 percent of them approve it um, abortion one percent of catholics who approve the who attend the traditional latin mass versus like half um, weekly mass attendance like 99 percent <laughs> wild um, and then novus ordo 22 percent uh, gay marriage, only 2% of Latin mass Catholics versus 67% of Novus Ordo attending Catholics. Uh, and then six times the amount donated, um, about four times as many annual confessions and weekly mass. You're outpopulating 3.6 kids versus 2.3 kids. Now, you know, we're not, we're not statisticians. We didn't go in and see how these surveys were conducted. There's probably a difference between Novus Ordo Catholics who go on a weekly basis, but Still, like the evidence is, is right there. Like it's enough to show that there is a pretty big difference. What's the group that's growing? What's the group that's faithful? Um, so, you know, you'll know tree by fruit and these parishes are just flourishing. Right. Yeah, man. And, and I think important to say too, is that the samples from the TLM community where there's over 1700 in each question until you get to yeah. fertility rate, it's only over a thousand because it was only at women, uh, directed to women. But it's not like they asked a hundred trats. You know what I mean? At one right, parish. Yeah, yeah. Like this mm -hmm. was definitely over, you know, a lot of people. And so I think, you know, when I when I first saw this, bro, it was a couple of years ago. And so for me, what surprised me, <laughs> this is how sad our world is, right? So I think for a lot of you, if you listen to our podcast regularly, the the Novus Ordo numbers are not surprising because you've heard those mm -hmm. before, right? Right. What blew me away, bro, was the TLM percentages. Mm. You know what I mean? Like to think like because I already knew yeah. how bad it was. Like I already knew how bad the MS of the church was, but I was like, wait, there's this group in the church that has a 2% of people that approve contraception. They have a 1% that approve of abortion. Yeah. They have 2% that approve of gay marriage. You know what I mean? I'm like, even if this is skewed, let's say it's 10%. Let's say it's five times what they're reporting. Right. You know, like it's yeah, like, why like, wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you dude, figure out what are they doing differently and, and how compared can you do to, that? Exactly. Compared to 89%, yeah. 51%, 67%. The other thing that made me think of, and then I challenge people that are kind of anti-trad or, you know what I mean? Or just kind of confused or just don't know about it or just ignorant about it, you know, which is no fault of your own, probably, if you don't know about it uh, until now, right now, I think you have an obligation to look into some of this stuff, but sure, it's so easy to be ignorant and not even know you know what you don't know, right? Um, but uh, one thing that I, I, I like to think about is, Okay, if you go to Novus Ordo Mass, when was the last time you heard a, a, a homily on contraception? Right. When was the last time you heard a homily on abortion? When was the last time you heard a homily on gay marriage? You know, I can tell you that of the last, literally outside of Father Jonathan Meyer, who's on our board and a frequent mm -hmm. podcast guest, who does uh, um, a... Uh, a very orthodox Novus Ordo. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I, think, I think almost as close as you could get to, to the lab as in the Novus Ordo. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. But um, aside from him, I'm like, I'm like, man, when was, how many of the last, the last 10 homilies, let's say, where I heard any of those topics, if I took out yeah. Father Meyer, like I think nine out of 10 of them were, 
Latin masses. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there's been a few, there's a few parishes. Like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I love the parish St. Cecilia's that I went to in Cincinnati. Our Lady of Lords here in Denver is pretty strong. Um, and I, I've heard yeah. some great homilies at both of those places. But uh, when you go typically to, uh, yeah, you're getting that, you're getting that kind of, uh, you know, Oprah. No, no. Let me yeah. get that Oprah. Let me get that Oprah homily. That makes me feel good. I don't know anything. Yeah, I don't have right. to change, you know, and, and it's crazy, bro. When you start to, when you start to become more Catholic and more Orthodox and realize the importance of being Catholic versus being Protestant, like you start to appreciate how much more important these homilies are, because like exactly what yeah. you said earlier, and I preach all the time, what you believe matters. Right. And like this, it it's does. not the yeah. same, like you being pro-life or not is not the same as your favorite cereal mm-hmm. being Fruit Loops, right? Like it's not just a, some no. pointless decision and preference that you have. Like it literally you affects your all eternity. the articles of the faith. Yeah. Yeah. You have exactly, to leave all man. of it. Like it's, it's very clear. Um, you got to accept everything the church teaches to be true uh, or have like a willingness to accept it, you know? Yeah. Different levels of, um, yeah, I'm fascinated by this. I'm working on my thesis from masters right now on whether Protestants have the theological approach of faith. Uh, so really digging into mm-hmm. that and what's necessary for belief, but no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting, man. And uh, another thing that I think is so important with this is this kind of leads into the other thing that I've really been thinking about since Friday mm-hmm. is, you know, just kind of this alignment of like, am I in the group of people who believe what I believe, right? Like, this is something I think yeah. is super fascinating. Uh, I just recorded a podcast with uh, Louis, Louis Damani Jones. And we mm-hmm. talk a little bit about uh, like black conservatives, um, and just like the low numbers that they are, even though he, he pointed out like statistically uh, the black community is statistically more conservative than uh, basically all other races on issues, huh. but they typically vote more Democrat. Right. Well, and it's just kind yeah, of, like, that's interesting. yeah. I just remember having this moment in my political journey of being like, am I in the camp of people who believe what I believe? And then I think there was right. this interesting twist um, that we really saw last year during the pandemic of so many people who are conservatives that just started to like really following this Democrat, these Democrat leaders, you know, and, and just kind of like believing everything they said about uh, the pandemic and the virus and all of those things, right? Like they just immediately folded, masking everywhere they went, uh, you know, obeying every yeah, single rule that, yeah. that was out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had conservatives, like hard conservatives who are, you know, masking outside by themselves. And it's like, talk me through this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you get to a certain point where you start to realize, okay, wait a minute, um, the uh, Matt Gates of the world or the... Uh, um, <laughs> What's what Dan Crenshaw's yeah. of the world, or the uh-huh. Mike Pence's, or the um, what's what's the hero's name? Like Thomas oh, Ron, Massey, or yeah, Ron DeSantis. Oh, Ron DeSantis? Right? Yeah, all uh-huh. these dope people, right? Are 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 not as concerned about this as are the Cuomos and Newsoms. You know what I mean? And and uh, uh-huh. Kamala Harris's of the world. It's like you start to be yeah. like, wait a minute, if I don't agree with them on anything, why am I standing over here with them on this group on, on this discussion, right? And so when you have yeah. this kind of divide that's now being created, now there is some divisiveness, right? With the Pope doing stuff like this. Um, when we have this divide, I think this is a good time again for people to sit there and reflect on which side am I on of all of this stuff? Right. Because you yeah. have, I'm, when I look at it, and this is the stuff that like pushes me always, you know, towards the, the TLM community and my love for them is, is, is you look at who, who's happy right now about this. Cardinal Supich, Father James yeah. Martin, mm-hmm. Cardinal Tobin, right? Like the worst yeah. church leaders that we have, the most heretical, uh, apostasy committing, like 
church leaders that we have, right? The, the church leaders mm -hmm. that say climate change is more important than abortion. The church oh, leaders yeah. who say that we should bless same-sex unions. The church leaders who say all this kind of outlandish, heretical stuff, right? They're the ones who are excited yeah. right now. And when you start to realize that, who are the ones that are hurt? Your father Rippergers, your your priests mm -hmm. who are committed, your priests yeah, who are praying, the FSP, the Institute of Christ the King, yeah, praying two holy uh, two holy hours a day, right? <laughs> like yeah, the, you're gonna, yeah, there's just the, so many solid ones that they hear all type, they're baffled hear, by it. Yeah, yeah, hear confession as often as they can. Um, mm -hmm. Who love their people, who preach the truth. They're the ones who are upset by it. And when you start to think about that, it's like, okay, which one should I be? You know? Mm -hmm. And there's so many people I think who are who are somewhat anti-trad. Because they, they, the, the trad community, the ones that get highlighted, the ones that get held up are the ones who are allegedly crazy, right? This boogeyman I talked about right. earlier, where there's this really, really small percentage of these people who they want to take one quote of something Taylor Marshall said or something that they read that he wrote or some way that he proposed mm -hmm. things or that he said things that, that they can say, oh, he's crazy. He's off his rocker. He's all whatever. And they point to the trads. They, that's what they do to them. They just get yeah. these kind of bad looks, right? And it's like, man. We, we can't have that. And I, I truly think, I truly pray and hope that this will have kind of the, the martyr effect that you and I talked about on the phone yesterday yeah. of saying, you know, people are going to start to think about this in a different way. I hope that this just brings attention to say, maybe I should reconsider where I stand on this because mm -hmm. I don't want to be hanging out. I don't want to no, be with the yeah. Tobin soupages and Yo. you know what I'm saying? And follow James Martins of the you're, world. You're right. No, you're right. And I think that's a good message for folks who are kind of not familiar with Latin mass, but certainly consider themselves Orthodox. And there are so many solid Catholics who are like that. The majority of Catholics who are solid are like that, are attending Novus Ordo regularly, trying to live their faith as best they can. Maybe they know there's a discrepancy in what their liturgy is like and the music they have and how homilies are. But then they're seeing that, yeah, the Pope's doing some, some weird stuff and certain bishops are approving of, of actions like this. But then there's this other group that, like, why, why, why are the way they are? Why are they flourishing? Um, so I would encourage all those folks, especially now with this um, motu proprio, check out the Latin Mass. Give it a yeah. give it a shot. Like, especially while it's still around. Now you know, is your, the your time. Might, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I know my yeah. I know my initial reaction uh, last Friday was I was extremely sad. I I feel as though the world's kind of like collapsing on us. We have issues in the government. Country's changing rapidly we just got done with the quarantine and what seems like kind of nonsensical decisions and just bad leadership. And then your solace is the faith. You want to be tight with it. And yeah. the source of that kind of truth is, and, and that peace and joy is just that regular Sunday. Like I get that, you know, hour drive to the mass on Sunday, get to a good TLM. And yeah. it's like, wow, you know, the Pope says it is putting restrictions on it. Now I think that this Bishop here where I'm at is going to be solid. I think he's going to continue to move it forward and you know i thank him for that um but yeah it's like i'm just ready to be martyred like just get me out of this world <laughs> you know everything's walls are closing in yeah. um but i but there's actually a lot of hope at this point um i would say that we are in such a time and i love your podcast i love how it starts that you were born you were made created you know formed for a time like this that there will yeah. be challenges um, yeah and that's and what this, we're gearing up for. crazy yeah, yeah, man, it's, that's what it's all about, you know, and I think in recognizing that and it, this, I just want to hit on what you just said, just kind of this message of hope. It's been really interesting to me to hear as somebody who like I, I don't I, I don't say I wouldn't say that I listen to both sides. I have listened to certain interviews of with Father mm -hmm. James Martin or things like that. 
because I do read and listen to all, I, yeah. I, just like I do in politics, right? Like I try to get to all sure. sides and I don't want to do to follow James Martin, what some people do to Taylor Marshall of, I've never actually listened to him speak. I just think that he's crazy, right? Like I wanted to hear the crazy stuff that he says, right? So I actually look it up and read it and do all those things um, to, to experience for, for it firsthand. But I think what's been really interesting in this time, and I would encourage people to go and listen to the things that I'm going to link in the, in the document or in, in the show notes from people like Taylor Marshall or mm-hmm. uh, JKB Mom, from you, uh, all the trads that I've talked to, it's just, it's just this message of hope. There's not this, yeah. I hate Pope Francis, or he's not the real Pope. They're like, it's just like, man, this really sucks. You know, like this is legit yeah. saddening, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it's going to really hurt our community. This is something that we really love and cherish and we meet God in a, in a special way here. Um, yeah. And, but we have hope, you know, and, there, and there's been no bad talk. Like it's crazy. And, and this is a good time to kind of realize that. So like Dr. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. says that you don't judge a man in times of of peace and, and certainty, you know, you, you judge them in times of chaos and adversity. Yeah. Um, and this is the well, time. I hope, yeah. So I want, I want people to judge the trads based on the reaction that you're seeing now and not the trads that you see in the, the random Facebook comments, but the ones that right. you actually know, or the ones who are the leaders and the speakers and things like that, because you'll see these messages of hope and this belief um, that, that God will prevail no matter what. And that the tradition of the church is, is stronger than any one man or, um, any little group of angry people at the Vatican. So uh, I think that's really important. So I want to, I just want to echo what you just said, man. I want to encourage people to go experience the Latin mm-hmm. mass for yourself um, and just recognize, you know, like I remember, I still don't know what the heck I'm doing when I go to Latin mass most of the time, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I, you know, I, I feel like I got good at it at one point in Cincinnati and kind of, yeah, you didn't give me your missile last time, man. <laughs> yeah, that's went, right. Give me your, no. I should have, yeah, I screwed that up, but um, but you know, there's like this embarrassment to it. And I think we have this unnecessary pride to be like, mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm embarrassed, whatever you want to go to what's ordinary and what you're comfortable with, but just mm-hmm. like, just suck it up. Just like watch, just sit behind an old lady, stand when she stands, kneel when she kneels. That's what I do. Yeah. I, I bless myself when John blessed himself, you know, like <laughs> I just did what, just do what John does, do yeah. whatever the guy next to you is doing and just try to figure and that's it one out of the beauties of latin mass too is it it teaches you to pray so i think with with yes. the new mass a lot of times we put in what we like what mm-hmm. songs do you like what what kind of flavor of music do we want a life teen mass do we want um gather hymnal but like what are we looking for how do we kind of make it more modern and yes. th- we're used to a lot of noise in our culture but with the latin mass you do have that silence and it is uncomfortable because we're not used to it it's otherworldly yeah, it teaches you how to pray. It's conducive to mental prayer. Um, so just go in, embrace it. And even if you don't, I, I recommend for people who go to their first Latin mass, uh, don't don't worry about the missile. Just go in there, experience it, yeah. take it in, allow yourself to see the symbols that are going on to try to listen to the prayers. Um, but just that medium, you understand that holiness is being conveyed, that something otherworldly is going on. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's so important. I think, uh, you know, one of my <clears throat> big criticisms or challenges to a lot of my protestant friends especially evangelicals is like mm-hmm. uh this this con this idea that they don't seem to care about church history and so especially like this happened to me a lot in the army because a lot of them obviously mm-hmm. if you're in the army you're typically a little bit more patriotic than the average person and so yeah. it's like imagine somebody in that wanted to be an american citizen and like that that bragged about like was passionately uh, an american patriot right and all they knew about American history was from the Obama administration, you know, 2008 until now. It's like, that's yeah. what, that's what people at Elevation Church are like, who just know 
Uh, well, no, they know they know like 1775 through 1777, and then they knew Obama administration till now. That's how most evangelicals treat Christianity, mm-hmm. right? It's like you know we know about Jesus' life, like everything happened in the Bible, and then we take this 2,000 year gap and we jump up until uh, Elevation Church was founded in 2012 or wherever it was. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? And it's like how do you how do you just miss 2,000 years and just feel Gucci with that? Like that's similarly, I think, to what Catholics do when we just kind of ignore church history and we ignore this tradition. And so I think you Mm. should experience it. I think you should experience, I mean, go to a Byzantine, sir. You know what I mean? Like just experience different aspects of the Catholic faith. I think is such a beautiful thing. And especially if you're going to an ugly Novus Ordo, which there's many out there, um, you might be surprised at how much you'd enjoy it. And especially you might be surprised. I think you'll really like this, John. Mm. You especially might be surprised how much you like it. If you're a man, I think both men and women love it. But I think there's something really, really to be said about the fact the heavy decline in men's presence in the church since right. the Novus Ordo became what it is. Yeah. Because they talked yeah, about this true. a lot last night. Matt Fred and Jacob Mom talked a lot about mm-hmm. how much men like the order of it, the reverence of it, the seriousness, the challenging mm-hmm. homilies, right? Like it's something to love for sure. Um, you don't you don't get the weak, flowery, fruity, uh priests doing the latin mass typically <laughs> no no typically you know? no it, yeah and you don't get the kind of emotive songs that don't have a lot of theological depth yep um that are just kind of in the preacher. driven through yeah mm-hmm. and you know you're with people who we just gave the stats on you're with the people who are really trying and it's kind of like you know we experienced in the army of you you, you kind of like some people go to army and they go to basic training and they're just like man these people really aren't that serious you know, because you're mixed in there with the cooks yeah. and the, the fuelers and the, you know, no, no disrespect to my fuelers out there, but you know, whatever, whatever, all these different branches, right. Are all together. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, man, this kind of sucks. Like these people aren't that serious. So you want to go infantry. You want to go to range. You want to go to these places where you're like, people are taking this serious. You know, I want to yeah. be the best. I want to see what I'm capable of. I want to fulfill my potential. And for this, for us, it's like, I have this hunger for Christ. I want to know the Lord. I want to get close to him. I want to be holy. I want to be a saint. Right. And mm-hmm. so you want to be with the people who are thinking that way. You don't want yeah, to be with the people. Men are made who for a challenge understand. like that. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Men, yeah. They're, we're, we're made for a challenge. And you can tell a guy, hey, you can come to this, this mass and you don't really have to change too much. And it's going to be so so preaching yeah. and not really and change don't. your life. Or it's like, hey, we're going to challenge you. What, what you're going to be asked to do is going to be difficult. It's going to require sacrifice, but it's going to be for something good. Like, think yeah. of anything that's worthwhile you did in your life that didn't require sacrifice. Yep. There's not. They pointed out in that talk that so often it's the man in the family who leads the family to the Latin mass parish. And so, yeah, yeah, it's really deep, man. But yeah, bro, I'm so grateful for this conversation. I think there's so much more. Every time I get into a good topic Mm -hmm. like this, I'm always like, man, I could do 16 podcasts on this, you know? So it's good to know. And maybe we'll get to come together again um, Mm -hmm. and, and knock it out of the park again, but this was great. I really appreciate you breaking it down and sharing your story and your perspective on this stuff, man. Um, and just, I'm always grateful for your friendship. Uh, you've been, you know, forming me and in orthodoxy and all types of things. We've had some great conversations. We've disagreed a lot over the years. Uh, Mm -hmm. but we've, we've come to agree a lot over the years as well. So almost definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to, I want to just encourage you guys out there, man. Don't be a little itch bay. Don't be soft and let your pride keep you from going to experience something awesome like a traditional latin mass it's time to go and just to constantly have hope don't let don't let this mm-hmm. or anybody else 
in the world, steal your hope, steal your joy, um, and steal your faith in Christ and um, the fact that he's going to, you know, lead the church victoriously. And so keep that faith, keep that hope and continue to fight hard. Remember, we always have two missions that I always talk about, which are to uh, be, you know, seek that personal holiness and to make disciples of all nations. And we can do that. And we continue to do that. God's always going to give us the grace to do those two things. And so continue to fight hard and to do that. Strive to be your best in all that you do. And we will see you next time. God bless.